I think we're going. We're rolling. So whenever you're ready, Michael. All right. Well, Bob, Redneck University number seven, eight, seven? Seven. This is exciting. Seven. Yeah, Mike, you know, um, first, you know, our wives told us we wouldn't make it past two. My wife lacks a lot of confidence in me. Well, I don't blame her. She so. has a lot of reasons. Yeah. I don't blame her one damn bit. And, you know, my wife has all the confidence in the world in me because she knows I'm such an amazing person. And um, I'm sorry you don't have that kind of support at home. But um, I feel like I'm not that kind of doctor, and I'm probably not qualified to talk to you about that. Bob, I just want to say, when you call Bridget your wife, it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Does it? Because she's not... <laughs> I, I don't know why. I don't. I don't either. I don't, you guys got some weird, weird thing going. Yeah, it works. Um, I think. Well, I mean, technically in Texas, it's considered you know common law. But um, you know what the hell? You know, Jesus Christ, we've been together seven, seven, eight years. It'll be eight years in uh, January. We've been living together for like six years. What's What's the point? Yeah, might as well tag it. Might as well. Yeah, might as well put a label on it. <laughs> I just don't. I don't I don't believe in the whole government marriage tax and all that shit. So well. And neither does she. I'm like, why complicate things? We got a good thing going. Why complicate it? You better insurance whenever you're not married. Huh. Call it whatever you want. Supposed to be supposed to pay lower taxes, but that's bullshit because like I'd never had to pay taxes until we started filing jointly. Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting. But Bob. That's where you're wrong. That is exciting. Uh, I don't think so. Learning about tax brackets? No. No? So, Bob, I, I've been excited about previous episodes, but this one takes the cake. I am pumped up about this episode. You know why? Because we got my neighbor Jason here, and Jason is a very fun, interesting redneck who is very involved in law enforcement, um, done all sorts of different law enforcement jobs, and I'm just excited. We're going get to get some stories out of him. Car chases, whatever. You're really shootings. hung up on these car chases. You've been talking about car chases for a week. Well, why don't well, Jason? Why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Jason. <laughs> nice to meet you. Great, great job. Right. Introduce- <laughs> well, let's start with car chases. So, Jason, you were uh, previously worked in a small in a county. In a county. Yeah, yeah. We, we Sher- won't name drop. We say, can we say sheriff's deputy? Yeah, sheriff deputy. Sheriff's okay. deputy in a. I would say it's a country county. Uh, Nine hundred and twenty-six square miles, if I believe. Okay. 926 miles, 26 square miles, out in the country in North Texas. And would you say you were involved in some car chases? Jesus Christ. My entire uh, employment there, I was pretty much in a lot of car chases. Before we get into the car chases, I know how <laughs> I like, the- Mike, Mike is just all about these car chases, and I don't understand why. Like, There's so much behind the story other than car chases. Uh, can we first start off with, you know, where where did it first become something that you were interested in becoming a sheriff's deputy? Oh, for sure, from when I was a kid. I've mm-hmm. always wanted to be a cop. You know, you play cops as uh, cops and robbers as kids, and it's always interested me. And I've always got into it for the wanting to help aspect of law enforcement, wanting to help people, and everything like that. And once I got into it, I was like, no, nah, man, this is fun. Nobody else is going to pay me to drive fast and play hide-and-go-seek all day. Mm-hmm. So it, it it still was about helping people, but it was a lot more about that adrenaline rush. And then what's the, so what's the process to becoming a sheriff's deputy as opposed to 
opposed to like a, a police officer with a police department where you got to go through like a police academy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what? Still, still have to go through academy. So I'll take you back on my journey of life. Uh, started, I worked in several different prisons um, right out of high school, worked in the oil field, everything like that. I enjoyed the prisons. I actually went to work for the county that I was working at before um, as a jailer. And they didn't have a program where they sponsored anyone to go through the program yet as far as going through the police academy and then becoming a street cop. So I went to the sheriff and I asked him, I said, hey, I want to start a program where y'all sponsor me, pay for my academy. I go through the academy, I'll sign a contract, give you two years after I graduate, everything like that. He said, no, we're not doing that. We're not sponsoring people. So I saved up the money. And my wife actually worked while I went to the academy. I put myself through the academy. Mm-hmm. And after I graduated the academy, I went back to the same county. And I told him, hey, I'm graduated. I'm certified as a peace officer. Let me come work the streets. So they said, yeah, we'll put you on as uh, uh, transport. So when I first started with the county, I was supposed to be in transport. Well, you have to go through field training, which is like like three and a half months I guess or so it's like a, a five-step program where you go through the academy or go through the field training process with another cop who's been a cop for a while and then once I started doing that I found my niche was I like to hunt dope so I started finding a bunch of dope loads and they told me at the end of my uh, field training they told me that you're not you're not going to transport you're gonna stay on the street and, and hunt, hunt dope. dope yeah <laughs> so <laughs> That that's kind of my niche. I, I enjoy catching drug dealers, not necessarily the small users, but if I can catch a user that will flip me to whoever's supplying them, then yeah, absolutely. So like the academy is that the is that the same thing as what you see like some junior colleges where they have like law enforcement certification courses, or is this something totally different? So there's LEO certification courses which are in line with like a bachelor's degree for criminal justice, but the academy is something completely separate. Uh, Weatherford College has one, TCC has one, Fort Worth has their own police department, academy, Dallas has their own academy, your major like municipality academies will have their own, uh, your, your major municipalities will have their own academy. Um, Do you have to pay to go through those academies? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. I thought you were already employed no, and getting paid. So if, uh, if you're department sponsors you then they normally pay for the academy and they pay you while you're in the academy right but like with me i wasn't sponsored or anything like that so i had to pay for my own academy and i also wasn't making any money while i was going through the academy so it's my my wife had to work and we had saved up a little bit of money my parents kind of helped me out during that time how long is that uh it was about five and a half months six months Mm -hmm. so there's a day academy where you go every day Monday through Friday, um, you know, depending on what the time is. Normally, we get there about 7 a.m. We wouldn't leave till 3 or 4 in the afternoon, 5 o'clock, something like that. But uh, And then they also have a night academy. So for people that are going to work during the day, and you go for 3 or 4 hours at night, you do all the schoolwork and everything. But the way I like to explain it is basically what a cop learns in 5.5 months is what a lawyer would learn in 5.5 years. Mm-hmm. Because you have to know all the same laws, and you have to be able to think of them right off the top of your head. So it's a lot of information all compiled together in a very short amount of time. And there's physical requirements on top of oh, that, Oh, yeah, too, right? for sure. What are, what are the physical requirements like? Uh, so in the academy, 
you just have to keep above a certain percentage as far as your physical abilities. Now, I'm not in the best shape. Mm-hmm. I'm in okay shape, I would say. But I think that there needs to be a more strenuous physical policy as far as some of these academies because I've seen some people go through there and basically it's if, if you're showing improvement, then they let you pass. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're 150 pounds or 450 pounds. I'm sure right now too because there's such a, <clears throat> a demand for, for law enforcement I was actually talking to our school resource officer at the school I work at, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, man, you know, I thought quite a few times, uh, you know, leaving this teaching behind and going being a going into law enforcement, but I think I'm too old." He's like, "Nah, they dropped all the uh, age restrictions last year because <laughs> so many really? people quit, yep. and they, they they need people. It's it's bad right now. You know, we get such hate, and it's, I mean, it's all because a couple dumbasses screwed it up for the rest of us. Yeah." Nobody hates a bad cop worse than a good cop because you got all of us that are out here trying to do good, trying to make the right decisions and trying to keep people in line. But then you got some asshole. Yeah. It's my 90% rule. It's like 90% usually going to be pretty good, outstanding people. And then 10%, there's always going to be, you know, one out of 10. That's just a, that's a dipshit. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, with, with kids, you know, 90% of the kids I run into are, they're, they're awesome. They're great kids. And then one out of ten usually might be a might be a butthole. So let's say so when you start, they uh, I assume you you tag along with another yeah officer. Somebody for a while? has more experience than you. Like when you first start off, obviously you you know you're a rookie cop. You don't have any experience doing anything, and they kind of. So I would say the academy teaches you how to pass a test. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's essentially what it is. The academy will teach you how to pass a test when you graduate from the academy and you start at a police department or a sheriff sheriff office or you know wherever you're starting at. They actually teach you how to be a cop. The academy doesn't really teach you how to do that. It just teaches you how, okay, these, these are the questions that are going to be on the test. This is how you're supposed to answer it. When you actually get with a department, that's when they teach you how to be a cop. And you just find your niche at that point, whether it's taking reports or finding drug dealers, transporting people, whatever the case may be. So what was your first cop car they gave you? Uh, my first car that I was issued was a Dodge Charger. Really? Did yeah. it run pretty good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a V6, but it still ran. It had the cop Chief. package. Is the cop package a real deal? No. No? <laughs> oh, man. A lot of people say, oh, does it have the cop chip? Does it have this? Does it have that? It doesn't have anything. So when you're looking at a PPV model vehicle, which is a police package vehicle, PPV stands for police package vehicle, there is no special anything Unless that department orders a vehicle specifically from the dealer. Like some of the new Caprices that you can order them with the bigger motor. Um, Some of the chargers you can order with a bigger motor. You can buy the SRTs. You can buy, you know, Mustangs with 5.0 and all that. But for the most part, there is no cop chip. There's no cop shocks. There's now <laughs> cop the shock, shocks, the cop shocks, motor, <laughs> right. cop doors. So the, the shocks, uh, suspension and stuff like that is beefier. Yes. Uh, just for they're driven so much and so hard that everything has to be a little bit more beefier. So as far as like the suspension and stuff like that, yeah, I would say it's a little bit more, more beefy, but there's no special cop supercharger turbo anything like that i'm really let down right now (laughs) so when you guys are in the academy do you like stay up 
grab a 30 pack and just put on Blues Brothers or Police Academy or something have, like that. I would have loved that. It was a lot of studying, though. That's so I much spent, legal stuff. Yeah, I spent 90%. I feel like 90% of my life was dedicated to highlighting phrases in all of the books that we had and just studying. And it's not something that you can just slack off. Because if you don't no, there was learn many, it... there was many people that failed. You could, you could end up in academy. jail or whatever else, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, that. But, I mean, even going through the academy, there was a lot of people that they failed out. Oh, man. So, all right. Can you, man, um, can you move that mic just a little yeah. bit closer and then point it towards you? There, is that better? Oh, oh man, that's yeah. a lot. All right. Oh, Damn. So, so much better. That sounds there amazing. Your voice got deeper. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. The sure. balls just dropped. <laughs> just hit puberty. Thirty-four years old. All right, Mike, you had a question. Uh, uh, you know where I want to go, Bob. I know you want to go straight to car to, chases. I'm trying to slow down. You want to go straight to car chases. Well, let, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get okay. there. Okay. So do you do you remember do you remember your first day on the job, like actually like by yourself? First day by myself. Yeah. yeah. So do. You, what what like what was it? Were you nervous? Like what what was going through your so, head at that point? My first day on the job by myself, I actually wasn't supposed to be by myself. I was in the last phase of my training, which was considered ghost phase, uh, which was with the sergeant of the shift that I was going to. I already knew what shift I was going to go to. I knew the sergeant. I'd worked with him for the past you know couple of months during my FTO training. I was with him the night before. Because uh, I was on nights. Obviously, when you start out as a cop, most of the, your places you're going to be on nights. Mm-hmm. You just get the shitty schedule. I enjoy nights, though. Um, so I was with him the night before. We had worked together. And then the next day, I had already gotten my car, all of my equipment and everything issued to me. I was in what was considered ghost phase, where the supervising deputy sergeant, whoever it's with, would come in in plain clothes, obviously with their still gun, your badge and gun, excuse me and they would ride with you and look like a civilian you would hand all your calls they wouldn't talk to you Mm -hmm. they would just essentially be like a civilian rider but if something went down they would be able to help out so that very next night i was supposed to come in and my sergeant called me he said hey you got all your shit together i said yeah he said good you're on your own (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I said this is it. this is it. This is, it's all me now. So it it was a little nerve wracking for sure at first, um, but I knew what I was already doing when I was in training. I was already finding dope, so I knew like, all right, well that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out. And I'm going to find some dope. I'll answer the calls that come in if I have to. If I can pawn them off on somebody else, I will. That's a <laughs> that's that's kind of a thing that dope cops get is mm-hmm. we like to hunt dope and we don't like to answer calls a lot, but. How? Something I learned from Jason, Bob, is that uh, you guys, I mean, we're out in the country a little bit. You did a lot of ride-alongs with your brother. Your yeah. brother, who's not an officer, yeah. would jump in, and you guys just hang out all night. And yeah, he came with me several nights. And he'd he would, be packing, too, right? Just in case. Well, I guess. No. No. <laughs> I don't think that's, I don't I, think you're supposed to say that. I, I don't know if he was or was not, but as far as I know, the paperwork that he signed said he wouldn't carry. Roger. Okay. But that had to be a good bonding experience. That's oh yeah, man. Uh, we we actually got into uh we actually got into a pursuit when he was with me. Really? Uh, yeah, I chased a motorcycle. I know, you know. Oh man. We'll get, into the, awesome. get a little bit of that, but Boss yeah, driving. for sure. Uh we we chased a motorcycle when he was with me and uh that guy ended up 
driving off of the side of the road and just happened to use my vehicle to position it to where he couldn't get back on the road and we ended up catching him. Were you going a little harder just because you had your brother in the car? Well, yeah. I got I to show <laughs> off, man. I got somebody coming with me. I'm like, shit, for sure if somebody's Love coming with me, got. I, I got I to gotta step my game up, find some dope, do something cool, you right. know? I don't want somebody to come ride along with me and then have to go tell everybody else they know. Like, oh, that was boring as shit all night. I mean, a motorcycle chase, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. No, for sure. What kind of bike was he on? Uh, he was on some kind of crotch target. It was like a 600. Wow. Wasn't super fast. So what was your uh, your method? I mean, you can't hang on them, hang on the straightaways, right? No, for the most part, they're, they're pretty good on the straightaways. A lot of uh, a lot of people that are riding bikes, though, they don't they don't really know how to ride. Um, I mean, as far as trying to run from the cops, they don't know how to do that, but I always thought the best, best method for running from the cops, not, not that I've done this, but <laughs> is you're going and you see the lights, but you've got a little distance between you and the cop, maybe half a mile or so. And then you just hit a side lane as hard as you can, preferably a neighborhood and just shut off all the lights back in the driveway. Cop goes right past. I don't know. Last time I ran from a cop, it works um, pretty good. I, last time I did it, I was in high school, and I kind of did what you did, but I, I drove into a field and then shut all the lights off and parked behind some bushes. I mean, not to throw y'all's age out there, but I'm sure that probably worked back then when there wasn't a whole lot of technology. But ooh, ooh easy now. All the technology that there is nowadays, man. You got helicopters in there. You got thermal imaging, everything like that. They had radios. <laughs> I don't know. We were in a Mini Cooper at the time, though, so I think we were kind of sporty, you know, could corner pretty good. I mean, not that I've ever done it <laughs> that I can recall, but I would say probably the best method would be to go half a mile, turn, go half a mile, turn, go half a mile, turn. It's going to be hard to get up and go with those, you know, chargers, and some departments still have Crown Vicks, um, Tahoes. I mean, especially if you're on a bike, you can get up and go pretty quick. Would you go lights off if it was, if it was nighttime? I mean, <laughs> if I was a shitbag, probably. Okay. So how did, uh, try to get Mike away from car chases. <laughs> or we're going to end up talking for an hour and a half about car chases. We're end up with the cops in our place. Um, how'd your first day on the job go? Honestly, I don't remember it a whole lot. I know I got dope that day. Uh, I think it was just a couple grams of meth, but... Uh, man, I, I loved it. I absolutely, the, the, the first day that I was on my own, I do remember the feeling of this is the most badass job I've ever had. And still to this day, I still feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I've literally never had another job that I actually enjoy going to work. Are there any, do you have like, I asked this <clears throat> cause I asked this about everybody that I work with, you know, and Teachers, the same thing. You know, every teacher remembers their first day, but there's also there's one day that always sticks out. Do you do you have that one day that sticks out that I got a you'll never forget? I got a couple. Yeah. Are they traumatic or is it something? Yeah, that- I mean, I guess the best way to put this is anytime there's a loss of life, mm-hmm. it's a traumatic day. No matter what, whether it's a good person, a bad person, or anything like that, it's. It'll fuck with your head. Understandable. Mike, you want to talk about car chases now? <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to dial now. it back just a little bit. <laughs> so we're in North Texas, and I assume, let's talk about the drug trade up here. 
That's so huge. You were on duty when they opened up Colorado. Is that right? Yep. When they legalized. Mm-hmm. So what changed? I assume before that, we're just you know more of a local meth scene out here, chasing down trailers and whatnot. And yeah. then they opened that up. I mean, did that change overnight? And all of a sudden, you guys got guys coming down? Yeah. So you've got... I mean, obviously, there's there's going to be... The drug market is huge financially for criminals. So when they legalized marijuana in California and Colorado, we saw a huge uprise in transportation or trafficking, if you want to call it, from Colorado, California, and all that down to Texas. It's so much harder to get drugs across the border in Texas versus in Colorado, Colorado, California, and then they legalized it there. So we're talking about large shipments of hundreds, if not up to thousands of pounds of marijuana. And anybody can do the most it. Part. So yes and no. Even that, even that amount of possession in Colorado and California is still illegal. So you can't just go to Colorado and be like, hey, I need 1,000 pounds of weed. Like, go and show to a dispensary. They're going to tell you, uh, like, sorry, bro, we can't sell you that much. Right. State regulations, you know, there are still regulations in California and Colorado, and I don't know a whole lot about them because I'm not a cop up there. But from what I understand, I don't think you can purchase more than a couple ounces at a time from each dispensary. So you're talking about you got, you know, dispensary shops all around the corner you're talking about somebody that's going to each dispensary shop buying up a couple ounces at a time and that's just your low level guy mm-hmm. right you're talking about high level guys they don't go to dispensary shops they go to the farm and they load up there and there's still a lot of black market yeah even in the legal states absolutely colorado and california for sure you're talking about guys that they they're not going through a dispensary to to load up you know a couple hundred pounds of weed or anything like that they're they're going straight to the farm and getting their stuff from the source or they're going to their illegal farm, quote unquote. But, um, and those guys are serious. I mean, some of them are pretty well armed. Yeah. Coming in. Well, there was an uprise in, uh, I guess you would say agricultural theft whenever they legalized it. You got to think there's, there's people up there that are, they, I mean, they want a couple hundred pounds of weed. They're just going to go to your farm and steal it. So there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of cops that actually retired and went to work as private security for some of these farms up there, making way more than a cop makes. Wow, that's not a bad idea. I mean, it's not. Just <laughs> <laughs> hang out in the pot field all day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what type of so your typical trafficker, big time trafficker, he's coming in. He, you know, what is he usually driving if he's trying to be nondescript? Probably he's got, let's anything say he's got 200 that, pounds of pot. Anything that fits in. 200 pounds of pot, it, you can drive anything from a big SUV or a, uh, a big car to a SUV. There's no description as far as what a trafficker looks like or what they drive, man. Because when you're trying to do illegal stuff, you don't want to stand out. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have somebody who's, you know, got their personal vehicle that's painted purple with pink pinstriping all down it with 26s and all this other kind of crap or you're not going to have somebody that's driving a ferrari you that's know that's what they revving, want you to think revving their motor and everything like that <laughs> you, you gotta think if if i'm gonna transport illegal contraband i want to look like an innocent member of the motoring public yeah just an old capri or something not even that like a freaking honda accord a toyota corolla wow that's i mean good. you gotta think you can rent a car in california 
and drive it back to Texas for what, $120, 200 right. bucks to rent it. I mean, then you're going to pay for gas, obviously, but Damn. what, what better car is going to fit in minivan, a Tahoe. So these guys, when they're driving, I mean, they, they're trying to be nondescript. They have a lot to lose if they get pulled over. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. So, and a lot of times their money's not on the line. They're just drivers. But if like, they lose that load, they're in big trouble. Yeah. Assume. Like Clint Eastwood in The Mule. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> no. That is a great movie. You need to watch this. Oh, my this. God. You've not seen you, that? You haven't seen no, The Mule? You want to talk about cop chases and stuff like that, and you got to watch The Mule. The Mule. There's right, not a I'm whole lot of it. cop chases, but as yeah. far as like like trafficking for of narcotics, man, that's a great movie to watch. Yeah. Clint Eastwood's, you know, he's like a 90-year-old, 85-year-old man, and he's the drug mule, and he just, he don't give a shit. <laughs> He doesn't care. He's just like, meh. You see a lot of that. Just pay me. He's just like this nice old man with, <laughs> you know. He's an old florist. Big old bunch of gym bags full of heroin in the back of his truck. So what are these guys, are they packing weapons? Sometimes. What type I, of- I think your, your lower level dealers, uh, your guys that are going up there getting, you know, 10, 15, 20 pounds at a time, that they're going to go back to Fort Worth, Dallas, or whatever and sell it, those guys are or most of the time they got some stuff with them, you know, pistols, ARs, whatever. Your bigger guys that are running loads that are a couple hundred pounds to a couple thousand, they're not doing that because they're not, it's not on them. They're just a driver at that point. Hmm. Okay. So they get paid per load that they drive. Hmm. If they get caught, they, they sure don't want to have a weapon on them. That's probably just no, way no, worse. Absolutely not. No, they just, they want to be able to say, Hey dude, I just got hired to drive this truck. That's it. Well, they're not. They're probably not going to rat whoever their, you know, their supplier or yeah. whoever it is that they're getting paid through out. But the less legal trouble that they're in, the sooner that they can get out on bond uh-huh. to go back and tell their people like, "Hey, here's my booking sheet. I was just arrested with your 800 pounds of weed. Please don't kill me." Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's going to be a stressful job. I imagine it pays pretty good. I'm sure it does. Not that great, from what no, I understand. Right? Just talking right. to a couple of people that have flipped, and then they're getting 500 bucks a run. That's it. I mean, yeah, but if you think about it, 500 bucks, you can go to California, fly up to California, they pay for your airfare. Uh-huh. 500 bucks to drive back. All I mean, now if you're, you if, you're, if you're running hard dope, you're talking a lot, a lot more money then. Yeah, because Clint Eastwood I mean, was heroin. getting paid. Yeah, I mean, these guys are getting paid. Yeah, it just depends on. But if it's weed, because like weed, you're not. I mean. Yeah, if you're gonna write it, you want heroin. Nobody, nobody really, nobody really even cares about. You know, number that weed is like on the bottom of the list right now. It is, but man, it's a huge factor in the drug trade. Oh, I bet. Because you got to think every time that somebody's going to be doing hard dope, like let's say meth, right? Somebody smoking meth, that's going to bring them way up, and they're going to be all strung out. Well, they need to chill out. They're going to smoke some weed to calm them down, and it's a vicious cycle of trying to get that high right in the middle because they'll smoke too much weed and it'll bring them all the way down. They want to smoke more meth to get them back up. Or what they could do if they smoke too much meth is go run up and down the streets of Gainesville (laughs) when it's 20 degrees outside in shorts and a t-shirt. I feel like there's a story behind that. (laughs) That's common out. You know, we see a lot of guys on meth around town walking up the roads and they're always yelling and angry. Is that... Uh, does that go on for a while when they're on meth? or is it, is it- I would say all the time. There's a psychological and chemical imbalance in somebody's brain when they're using that stuff. I mean, you got to think you're, 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 your body's creating all the serotonin. Well, methamphetamine is going to open all those serotonin receptors 
and it's going to give you this euphoric feeling. And then after so long of using it, it kind of nulls and dumbs your brain down. So you're going to use more and more of it until it gets to the point where you're just, you're off. You're just brain like your dead. brain is, is gone. That is wild. Yeah. And you meth yourself to death. You methed up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, death methed up. <laughs> so whatever. So you pull over, so you find a meth guy and he's, imagine you get some happy ones and some angry guys. Oh yeah. Man, I've, I've pulled over drug, drug users that, I mean, I've pulled over meth heads that are excited to go to jail. I've pulled over people that are going to do everything they can to not to go to jail. You know, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy job for sure. I love it though. That sounds it's, exciting. It's fun, man. Now, speaking of crazy and, and, you know, being in part of like the service aspect of law enforcement, um, Mike was telling me that lately you've been running down and helping out with like flood control and flood victims. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, so this has been recently, there was a hurricane. Where was it? Louisiana. What was it called? I already forgot. Uh, uh, So many many hurricanes hit New Orleans. Something. My goodness. Who knows? Here's my question. Okay. Like, and then I have this, I have a weird, it's a hypothetical. It's not a real question. It's a smart ass question, but like, okay, every year, every year, there's going to be a hurricane hit New Orleans and flood it. Yeah. So why do people keep living there? Enjoy that lifestyle. The history. New Orleans is awesome. Jewel of the South, man. Is it though? I mean, I've been in New Orleans. Oh, I've had some good times. It's not in New that Orleans. great. Uh, no, I just you know, Bourbon Street is is just someone needs to just drop an A bomb on there and just clear it out and be done with it. Well, Bob, I think you're looking at it from the wrong point of view. Me and you know Mike, we would go to New Orleans every New Year's in high school and early college years. And when you're single and young and a man in New Orleans, you're okay with. Oh. You're okay with making out with a dude on Bourbon Street that looks like a woman? <laughs> I just say the New Orleans women, they're they're typically curvier than the average woman because they got and a lot they, of testosterone in their bodies. And they are friendly. The curves are the curves are in their underwear because they've got balls. <laughs> no, Bob, no, no. I'm saying way too much because I'm sure my wife's going to listen to this. But we, I'm just saying, we had some good times in New Orleans. I went to New Orleans once. You can let loose a little more freedom, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's very free there. Yeah, you can bang it's a dude, a and it's okay. What's all this banging dude stuff? I don't, I don't know what you do in New Orleans. I don't I, go I, down there to bang dudes. I went to New Orleans once. Uh, I was thinking I was around 30. Is that where the hate comes from? 28, 29, somewhere around there. I think it was 27. And uh, went down there for a rugby tournament, and we went to Bourbon Street. And all I remember, well, first of all, I broke my kneecap somehow on Bourbon Street. Don't know how. Woke up the next day, like my knee was just... That's a pretty serious injury. Huge. And I had broken my kneecap somehow. And, um, but I remember there was this strip club, and the sign on the front of the strip club said, our guys look more like girls <laughs> than the club next door. Something along those lines. Basically, it was a, all, the, all the strippers were dudes. They were trainees. So y'all went? No, of course <laughs> not. But you don't remember the night before, you broke a knee. You broke a knee I broke a kneecap. Yeah, I was on my knees apparently at some point. Yeah, you woke up next to a trainee strip club. I don't know, man. The Bourbon Street shots I'm sure make my ass hurt. <laughs> I just want to document that I was not on this rugby trip. Oh man. Anyhow, okay. So, flood vic- hurricane victims in Louisiana. So what? 
because I have a buddy, Terry, who's coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks. I have a, my buddy, Terry, does the exact same thing, and he runs generators down there. Yeah. And um, so what, what, kind of, uh, what kind of job are you doing down there? Basically, we got paid to do security. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were originally supposed to go down there for, um, well, well, we went down there for the disaster relief, for the hurricane. Um, from what I understand, our original mission was going to be body, body recovery, but from what I understand, there wasn't that many victims down there. So we got down there, and our mission changed to where we went to a gas refinery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were stationed at a gas refinery where they were handing out supplies to their employees and also handing or giving out fuel to their employees. Thank you. Um, and I guess they were worried about the citizens of the community getting upset and coming in, trying to get supplies, trying to get fuel, stuff like that. Cause they weren't offering that to anyone from the community. Mm-hmm. It was just for employees only. So that was our main focus while we were there. But towards the end, while we were there, they actually started opening up more stuff <clears throat> for employment. And because of everything that was going on, they were not doing background checks on any of their employees that they were hiring. So their main head security guy came to us and said, hey, we need y'all to help at our gates when we do shift change for uh, gang-affiliated tattoos, identifying gang-affiliated members. Because you got to think, this is, this is a huge gas refinery. Mm-hmm. They blow this thing up. I mean, you're talking about billions of dollars gone, hundreds of thousands of people dead. Why, so they, why, would, why, would it, why would a gang member blow up a refinery? Well, not necessarily just a gang member, but that was what he was focused on because uh-huh. I guess they had seen um, some of the new employees that came through that had some gang-affiliated tattoos, and that's what their our, – our mission focus changed from providing security to the facility for civilians coming in to get supplies mm-hmm. to identifying gang members. Crazy. You know, just a side note, when I was down in South Louisiana, working at those refineries, that's like the goal of a lot of the, those young guys' life. I mean, they I have to go to school. It's a good paying job. Talking to some of the people that were there, they're making shit tons of money. Oh, yeah. So you guys actually, so you're, you're screening. Didn't you guys find some gang members? Yeah, we found a couple. Um, one of the guys specifically that I remember talking to, um, he said that, uh, funny story about it, he actually got busted uh, transporting illegal narcotics across the border. So we kind of had that in common as far as him being a trafficker <laughs> and me catching traffickers <laughs> on my daily job. Right? Talking about drugs. So we, that's, I'm not even kidding, man. We literally sat there for two hours talking about drugs while they had to go and you know get his final check and everything like that to get all of his stuff out of the, out of the facility that's and everything. Wild. So we sat there and chatted up for a couple hours for of you know what he did and how he did it and the compartments that are built and all this kind of other kind of stuff and it was actually pretty cool i mean he was a cool guy he made some mistakes in the past he said he's trying to change his life around he's still affiliated he's on paper affiliated so there's not a lot he can do but while we were there talking he had made a couple phone calls he already had another job lined up so hmm. so you guys were down there for how long uh 10 days 10 days well the total trip was longer than that right uh no, well, there's 10 days and then two days travel. Okay. So what was the, I mean, I assume there's no power on down no. there. No. What was the overall attitude of the locals? And 
Uh, the locals at night, man, we would. <laughs> there was one night I remember specifically me and one of the other guys. We we had picked up day shift, and the other two guys that were with us were working the night shift. Um, and we decided to take one of the trucks and go into the town at night. So as we're driving through town, all the local law enforcement during any kind of disaster over there in Louisiana, they have to drive with their lights on all the time. They just have them on steady. Can you say what town it was? Uh, it was in Laplace, Louisiana. Is that south? Uh, it's, it is uh, west of New Orleans. Gotcha. So we were driving down through there, and, man, there's people literally breaking into buildings, right? That, that's not my job while we're there. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here to do my job, which is responsible for the refinery, so I'm not going to jump out and stop somebody from breaking into a building. Um, I mean, there, there was literally two guys arguing back and forth, and we just kept driving. I was like, oh, shit, not my problem. I'm not worried about that. Sorry, that's what insurance is for. It, it almost gives you a little view of, like, during Katrina, you hear about the stories down there, <laughs> just what anarchy could be. Now, if they were to come onto the facility, that's a whole different story. Because, I mean, we were well prepared for anything like that. What were you guys? I, I, how do you define well prepared? Heavily armed. Heavily armed? Yeah. <laughs> what would be your... Uh, well, what was your arsenal? What was your gun of choice there? Well, I carried my pistol. I had a backup pistol. I had two ARs. Probably had about myself personally. I know I had over a thousand rounds of AR ammo. Probably a thousand rounds of pistol ammo. So that's four guns. How many would you carry on you at one time? Two. Okay, so you'd have a pistol, an AR, probably some clips. Yeah magazines you had a thousand rounds on your person no no no, not well i had it in my bag okay that i carried with me it's like damn thousand rounds on your person no no that's no joke body. normally like on an everyday shift when i go to work i have a couple hundred rounds on me what about uh would you guys have like a, a nightstick or something or a bat no I mean, at no. that point i'm not <laughs> i'm not <laughs> worried about bats and nightsticks and <laughs> so what do you need a nightstick for i mean you i had to hit him with a gun <laughs> so if you have to Restrain somebody without actually shooting them. I, would you go for a, a blow, or would you go to try to take them down, maybe around the neck? Uh, well, well, trending law enforcement, I probably wouldn't grab anybody by the neck right now. Uh, isn't that ridiculous? Yeah, I, I, there's two sides to it. Um, there's one side that it, it's an effective method to take somebody to the ground. On the other side of it, there's a point where you got to stop yourself. Right there's, I mean, you you can't sit there and choke somebody out because they're not going to tap. For, it's not like yeah, jiu-jitsu. if they're unconscious, they can't tap out. Right, right. There's also another side of it. If they're unconscious, they can't fight you. But if they're dead, you're in legal trouble. Yeah, and I mean, I can kind of, I can kind of relate to that because it's like, bitch. yeah, you think about it, you know, if you got adrenaline pumping and everything, and you put someone in a chokehold. And like, you know, your first instinct when you, when you get someone in a hold like that is just to squeeze and keep squeezing and keep squeezing and keep squeezing and keep squeezing. Well, you got to think in law enforcement though, you, yeah. you have to be able to control your adrenaline. Yeah. That was my, that was my next point was like, you know, if you don't have that kind of control to where you can like shut it off or remain calm, like hopefully, you know, you've had enough training to where you don't get that adrenaline rush when you have to you know restrain somebody and you're just able to put the move on them and then, and then diffuse the situation but if you haven't had that kind of training then there's a possibility that you just 
Squeeze him to death, basically around the neck. Yeah. Well, that's and I would say even even with all the training and stuff that I've got, I'm not saying that I'm some super badass or anything like that, but I've gotten quite a bit of training and I've been in quite a bit of incidences, but you're always going to get an adrenaline rush. Yeah. It's always going to be there. It's just being able to control yourself to be able to stop doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, right? Or stopping yourself from doing it altogether. So what kind of training do you guys get? Is that in the academy or is that like afterwards? So in the academy, they have a defensive tactics training, which is, you know, hitting a bag and teaching you kind of how to box. Not, I grew up in a very small town Mm -hmm. with a lot of drug users and a lot of drama. So I fought a lot as a kid. Well, that kind of helps me out when you come into law enforcement of being able to, to at least somewhat be able to fight. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I'm going to go kick everybody's ass in the world, but I feel like I can hold my own pretty well. Now, if I got some big old six foot eight, you know, 450 pound man, probably not going to fight that guy. I'm probably going to try to tase him if I can, or I'm going to run away. <laughs> <laughs> Taste, bitch. <laughs> That's got to be exciting to taste somebody. I mean, just see them. I mean, the convulsion, does it immediately go to... Or is it now, kind of a slow... People don't really shake as much as like in movies and stuff. And it doesn't knock anybody unconscious. You know, you see the movies where people get tased in the neck or whatever. And right. just, they shake and they're non, they're not able to move. Uh-huh. That doesn't happen. You got to think that that taser that they're putting on somebody's neck, the area is only one to two inches apart. In order for a taser to be effective, you're trying to get a full muscular distance. You know, if you can get a thigh and a shoulder or something like that, it's going to lock up their entire core so they can't fight or anything like that. Have you guys ever seen Jackass where they tase each other in the balls? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I saw that with a TENS unit. <laughs> that sounded horrible. You want to try it? I got a. I got a cattle prod. I got a tens unit at the house. I'm already not having kids lately, so you know we can. <laughs> Episode eight <laughs> be a great YouTube video. <laughs> so what's the? Uh, have you ever had to like, or seen someone or experienced a situation where the taser was ineffective? Yes. What is the what is the scenario that's going on there? Like is as it, far as my my thought process. Yeah, like what's your opinion? So like. Is, well, no. <laughs> no, no. Oh shit! I mean, like, so is it? Is it just this person's got so much going through their system that that it's they're just not feeling it? Or now, or? regardless of what they've got going through their system, they're if as long as you get a good connection, mm-hmm. there's gonna be a muscle freeze. So it's gonna lock your muscles up, and you're not gonna be able to fight. Now, depending on what kind of layers of clothes they have on, the distance between the the two prongs that go mm-hmm. into the person's body, all of that takes a huge accountability into effect. Like if if you don't get a good spread, you're not going to get a good lockup. So if you're too close when you hit that, yeah, the deploy button. Mm-hmm. If you're too close, okay, yeah. So you know, from me to you, if I was to tase you from right here with my arms sticking out, there's what three feet between me and you. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to be effective. You're not going to get a good spread to affect a, a, you, the larger amount of muscle you can affect yeah. the better. Cause it, it doesn't. <clears throat> so basically it doesn't if, affect your, like if those two bones. prongs, if those two prongs stick in the same muscle, it's only going to lock up that one muscle. Yeah. But if you get one in the shoulder and then one in the thigh, it's going to lock up everything in between. Yeah. Okay. 
That's right. that's the ultimate goal is to get a multiple multiple muscular lockup. So it's not really what we hear when you know, oh this guy was on so much meth they hit him with a the taser and he couldn't he didn't even feel it. It's no. probably it's because they didn't get that spread. They didn't get the spread. The prongs didn't penetrate. The, the guy had too many you know layers of clothes on. Like in the wintertime, people go to tase people in the wintertime. You got a big old feathered goose down jacket on? It's not going to work. Yeah. It's not going to go through all of that. Now it'll go through a couple shirts or a sweater or something like that, but you got a big, huge jacket? It's not going to go through that. Well, rest assured, if it's a meth head in Gainesville and it's winter, they're going to be shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> Does so, meth sure. help resist the tasing? I wouldn't say anything helps resist the tasing other than maybe PCP just because they're body and their mind are not connected at that point PCP. Dude, i haven't heard that term in a long time is that still popular it's a hell of a drug yeah, yeah for sure wow you don't see it a lot around here but angel yeah. dust angel dust that's right. sherman helmsley it <laughs> 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 realizes to be such a drug episode now something bob i learned from jason which i found very interesting i mean we don't have to talk about this if you don't want but you know jason said you know they don't like Catching the guys coming in with the drugs, they want to catch them as they leave with all the money. For sure. I can't buy a brand new Tahoe with four keys of heroin. So did you know, Bob, that when a deputy catches, let's say you catch somebody with a hundred grand on it, and they confiscate that hundred thousand dollars. The hundred thousand dollars goes to the department, right? It goes to the seizure fund, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I knew it goes that. to the department. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think mind. they're going to do with it? You think they're going well, to lock it in the uh, evidence case? D- depending on who we follow the the case through, right? So if it's a civil seizure, it's going to go to the department, right? If it's a criminal seizure for money laundering, depending on who's filing that charge, whether it be the DA's office or the feds or something like that, obviously we're going to have to pay a percentage of that to that other agency. Mm-hmm. But yeah, any money that's seized goes to the department for like, um, I, I don't know all of the legal aspects of it, but I know that you can only purchase certain things with the seizure fund. You can't use it to pay salaries or anything like that. You can use it for equipment purchases and stuff like that. You haven't seen that Mike where like, you know, they'll when uh you know, like a big drug dealer will get busted. Like the police department will actually seize all of their property and they'll have an, they'll, they'll auction that property off and all that money goes to the department. So what if it's just like a low-level deal and you're just having a house party, a bunch of underage drinkers, and the uh, cops come in? There's a lot of things to take into account. If it's, I mean, if it's just a house party, you don't... So there's a lot of things you got to take into consideration. If it's a rented house, can't seize it. Yeah. Unless the, they just changed the law a couple of years ago, I think last year maybe, or the year before that, where if the landlord knows that you're an active drug dealer, then... There's legal recourse on them for allowing you to live in that residence and deal drugs. And then it could be seized. Could be seized. Not will, but could. Then how do you, you know, the other question is, you know, how do you prove that it's exactly. the landlord had knowledge? You're talking about phone records yeah. and computers and all, all of the IT aspect of it now. What about just using drugs? You guys can't just seize no. the house, but it has to be a dealer yeah. or some sort so of if, highly legal. If you're legal. using it like... Technically, a vehicle that is used to transport illegal narcotics, right? Mm-hmm. That is a tool of that trade. So you could seize that vehicle. It doesn't happen a lot. There's some agencies that they seize everything that they can get their hands on. There's some agencies that they're like, no, nah, we're not going to mess with it. If it's a, you got to think if it's a 
2021 GMC Denali. That I'm taking note, that bitch. No, hold on, hold on. But what if there's still a note on it and it's still uh, got you know go. seventy thousand dollars on that note? And agency's not going to pay seventy thousand dollars to buy that. Now, if it's completely paid off and it's a free and clear title, yeah, absolutely, they're going to seize that all day long. But that's got to be a lot of money, just the cash you're seizing. Yeah, there's quite a bit. Me and a couple other guys that I was working with, we, there's, I will say in 20, let's see, I think it was 2020, um, we seized somewhere right at or maybe a little bit over a million dollars in cash. Nice. Just for your small county Just for that department. county. Now, there were other counties that were a part of a... I'm trying to say this without outing everybody. They were part of a team effort of multiple different agencies, multiple different counties that grouped together and created this, I'll just say it, a criminal interdiction unit, right? So depending on what members of that specific agency that was part of that group, whatever money was seized had to be split between those nine counties, like me, I wasn't specifically on that criminal interdiction team, right? I was a criminal interdiction guy, canine guy for my agency, but I wasn't attached to that nine-county group. So any money that I got was just seized for our agency. Right. Does that? Anytime you mix in a lot of money in that type of deal, does that cause issues between for the sure. counties and arguing and yeah, like why am not why am I not making more money? Exactly. I, mean, I, w- I wish we could get paid a percentage of what we seized. <laughs> right. Why wouldn't you? I mean, it, well, there's a lot of legal process behind that. I think that there would be a lot of people trying to seize a bunch of <laughs> a little shit of saying, hey, man, I, f- I seized this 2003 Toyota Camry. <laughs> it barely runs, but can I get like five bucks off of that? You know, there's there's legal side of it to where I think cops would do shady shit to get a seizure yeah, if they're getting paid sense. off of a percentage of it. So, I mean, I, I understand... They can't pay us off that, which is fine with me. I just enjoy, enjoy doing it because, like, shit, if I can seize a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe I can get a new Tahoe. Shoot, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, Bob, can we finally get the car chases? Uh, I so, thought we, we had one motorcycle no, chase. That's no, not no, enough. No, no, no. Not Jason, enough. I, I've only heard, you know, little tidbits of the story, but you were in a serious car chase, an accident. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Can you? Can we talk about that? I yeah. want to hear what happened. You know what happened? Where? How did it start? And how did it end up? Basically, um, the agency that I was with, the specific sergeant, when I was on his shift, uh, I started off there on a shift with him, and there was no there was no policy written saying you can't chase motorcycles. It was kind of his rule that he didn't want anybody chasing motorcycles. Obviously, there's a there's an inherent danger to that. Right. Um, these guys are running, you know, hundred and something miles an hour, and you're chasing and you're in a them. V6 and charger. Like that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> even though he had this kind of unwritten, it's just a directive, like, hey, I would prefer if you didn't. I still did. Right. Not not against what he was saying. He was just asking. You know, it, it wasn't like I was being a subordinate towards him or anything like that. And then every time I would chase one. And I would get, you know, a couple thousand dollars cash or a couple pounds of weed or something, you know, small. He would be like, I can't get mad at you because every time you're chasing somebody, 
you produce a good amount of drugs. Then you end up with the banditos running through your county. You know? So, yeah. So uh, the county that I worked with kind of had a reputation of don't run from the cops in the county because they are going to stop you. And that's a lot of people that... We ain't scared. We're you know, bigger cities. They wouldn't... Yeah, like your bigger agencies, you know, Fort Worth, Dallas, and stuff like that, they've got direct policies that inhibit them from chasing certain vehicles and stuff like that. And you got to think if, if, a, if an agency member of that department violates that policy, there's legal recourse from the families of if somebody had, you know, passed away or something during a motorcycle chase, and there's a direct policy saying, hey, you can't chase this motorcycle. They chase that motorcycle. Well, now there's legal recourse for the family to sue that department, right? Uh, so if it's a, rules. if it's a, yeah, yeah, it's the crappy side of law enforcement that huh. nobody wants to talk about. But if there's not a written policy, there's no legal recourse for somebody to come back and say, "Oh, well, you did it, and so now you owe us money." So this bike came roaring past you, and you're it was probably a boring night. Yeah. Well, um, it was. Uh, so I was actually not on. Uh, I was not on with that sergeant at the time anymore. I moved to the canine division, where I I had a my direct supervisor was just a lieutenant. I didn't have a sergeant or anything like that, so I only answered to him. However, when there would be uh, a sergeant on shift or a corporal on shift, any kind of supervisory questions I would direct towards them, not to have to call my lieutenant in the middle of the night. So. It was a boring night. It was right down the road here, you know, in this small gotcha. little methamphetamine-filled town <laughs> just north of us. Um, and it's a very quaint town. Yeah, and I, I, I was just sitting in the town, essentially waiting to see if there was anybody that would do anything bad, right? Uh, there's a lot of thefts over there. There's a lot of foot traffic over there, so I was trying to find somebody that maybe was... Trying to break into one of the buildings, dollar store, or what whatever. Foot traffic through that town? Yeah. Really? <laughs> you okay. seem surprised. I am. Uh, um, well, you, there's a rehab right down there, too. I always wondered about that. Mm-hmm. Those guys get out of there and... Uh, well, I mean, I don't know what they do legally, but... I wouldn't want to be their neighbor. I know illegally. I know there's a lot of foot traffic at night. Gotcha. Um, so, anyways, kind of get back to it. Uh, I was just sitting around there kind of watching for anything that looked out of the ordinary and this this bike came past me going a little too fast so i turned around and got behind him um, and ended up lighting him up for traffic offense and he took off and it was kind of an it was an unwritten directive that we were not to be chasing crotch rockets anymore it had been stated multiple times by multiple different lieutenants that if it's a cruiser style bike and you think you can feasibly keep up with it without putting yourself or everybody else in danger. Because, you know, those cruiser-style bikes are not going to go 130 miles an right. hour, 160 miles an hour down So this 99 fat boy next to us, you chase yeah. that all day. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that thing's going to top out like 85, <laughs> right? So Then it's probably going to break down. Uh, no, it wasn't a crotch rocket. It's actually a cruiser-style bike. Um, he took off. Um, I radioed my sergeant, and he said, go ahead. Him and I both knew that meant go ahead and chase the bike. So you're excited at this point. I, I, at this point, I'm I'm like, oh heck yeah, man! This I, is why I'm doing this job. Yeah, yeah. Nobody Hammer else down. drive fast and play hide and go seek all day, man. There's it's, no rules now. So well, there's rules, but uh, so chasing him down, uh, 
the back road here. Yeah. And uh, so he comes south. Yeah, comes oh, south. Oh, he messed up. That's coming to where you're from. Yeah. So yeah. you know the back. My neck of the woods now. Mm-hmm. So um, he ends up straightening a curve out, hitting a ditch, and uh, so he comes down, and then he comes. Does he turn at the B name up here, and then nope. come down? Nope. No. Continue. He he. This happened by uh, the the neighborhood. Right. Right over here. Uh, so, long story short, um, he straightens a curve out, hits a ditch, and the head ditch first, right over here. Yeah. Yeah. He- yeah, yeah head first uh, into the ditch, Ooh. and nope. he's he's dead. He's dead. Mm. Okay. So uh, did my break his neck or did it shatter his brain. I didn't get the Emmys report, yeah. but my brakes failed. My ABS locked up. Um, this which, is in that Tahoe, right? Yeah. And so I'd, already, well, I'd sent multiple emails about my brakes having issues, but it was the only canine unit we had. We didn't have a spare, so I was told, we'll get it fixed when we get it fixed. You just keep driving it. So the brakes locked up? Locked up. Uh, and I almost hit an 18-wheeler head on. Yeah, there's a video of it. There's an 18-wheeler coming down that road, opposite direction. Yeah, down Liberty. And, Holy. Um, we almost head on. I, the video of it literally looks like he's minuscule inches away from hitting the side of my car. I end up hitting the ditch, uh, jump the road into the next ditch, and smashed a tree. My door's pinned shut. I get out. My passenger side, come around. And the guy's, he's got that rattle, you know. So. What, what is the rattle? The death rattle. That what? gurgle. So okay. he's, he's gone. I, I got it. When someone dies. Uh, like, so I said, you know what, I'm going to do what I can. Tried starting CPR. I did CPR until the volunteer fire department got there. Were um, you hurt at this time? Yeah. I split my head open and. All kinds of shit. Nothing broken or anything like that, but I knocked You're myself out. all over. Yeah. Uh, not all over, but I had some blood on my head, and I knocked myself out. Um, so you knocked yourself out, then came to? Yeah. So you probably had a concussion. Yeah, I'd probably say so. And then you got out and tried to help give this guy CPR. Yeah. I mean, regardless of the fact that, yeah, he ran from me or whatever, but he's still human. Right. Right? So I, like, I have no ill will towards him. Yeah, he made me wreck my car from chasing him and everything like that, but still, I mean, I'm not... I'm not heartless. So but usually a head blow like that, I mean you're aren't you scared for your own I guess you're not even thinking at that point. At at that point I wasn't even worried about I didn't know I was bleeding from the head or anything like that until one of my one of my good friends who I actually still work with to this day, um, he was the first one on scene and he came from uh probably about twenty miles away and he ended up making it the first one on scene. So I, I I started doing CPR on the guy. Um, the volunteer fire department shows up, and they're like, hey, we'll take it over. They started taking over, and then they said, no, he's, he's gone. So I said, okay. Um, my buddy got there. He was like, bro, your head is bleeding. So I got some rags, checked my head, went and checked on my dog. She was good. Um Lieutenants, sergeants, everybody else started showing up. Uh, and then county ended up showing up because it was in their neck of the woods. Um, they had questions. They said that they're going to do the crash report and everything on it. you had crossed yeah. county lines at that point. Right? Yeah, yeah. It started in in, in, the the other, in, in the other county, ended in 
County. We don't have that many listeners, no worry. Um, I'm not too worried about it. I don't work there anymore. So, um, But, so, basically, they said that they're going to do the investigation on it. So, there's obviously no... Uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, they want to make sure that it, the investigation is done thoroughly and make sure that there's no tampering with it or anything like that. Like, if, oh, like if my agency would have came out and been like, oh, no, 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 we'll, right, we'll handle right, right, this, right, right. you know, and try to cover anything up. Like, Kenny was like, hey, we're going to do the crash report and everything like that. Just to make sure there was no like foul play. I think that's the word I was trying to look for. Um, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I, I knew that my vehicle and his vehicle never made contact. That was one of the questions that they had for me is, did I hit him? Is that what right. caused him to go down? So Luckily, thank God, I had video camera. My car was video camera was working perfectly. You can see everything. Could they see the ABS light come on? or No, no. That was but just they could the probably dash. measure the They can measure the, the skips and everything like that. So... Um, I ended up going, my sergeant said, hey, let's take your dog home. So I called my wife. I was like, hey, and that was a terrible phone call. Because <laughs> hey, you're, you're hey, less just than to let a half you know, mile from home I'm, at this point. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm bringing Rio home. I got to go to the hospital. They think I have a concussion. And, you know, she's got the kids at the house and everything yeah, like that. You got to check like, for internal bleeding in your brain. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, I'm going to come up there. And I'm like, no, you're not just. I'm going to bring the dog home. You take care of the dog. Stay there with the kids. Were you thinking fuzzy at that point or was it? Um, honestly, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot from it. I, I remember bits and pieces of it, but it was, I would say, yeah, it was probably fuzzy. Um, so they wanted to take me in the ambulance. And I said, I'm, I'm not riding the freaking ambulance. It's like 500 bucks. Right. I'm, I'm making deputy pay. I can't afford to ride in a freaking ambulance. <laughs> so, I go to the hospital, they do a CT, they say that there's no damage to your brain or anything like that, you probably got knocked out, had a concussion, you cut up, sheriff ends up showing up to the hospital, checking on me, which is actually pretty cool, um, he said, I, you're not in trouble, I just want to make sure you're alright, and he said, once you're done and out of here, you come to the office, we'll talk, I was like, oh shit, okay. That'd be a lot of stress, the whole... Oh yeah, man, I was sweating, I, I was sweating bullets, I was like, shit, I'm gonna get fired now. Yeah, you wrecked a car, like, you, you're hurt. Yeah. You don't, I mean, you, you know you did what was right in the situation, yeah. but well, there's that, so many other factors. So once uh, once I get out of the hospital, I go up to the office, we chat, they ask, you know, what happened, I explain to them, they weren't under the impression that I had permission to chase the motorcycle, and I had even talked to the sergeant before we got pulled in the office, and I said, hey, I know you said go ahead on the radio, but you can full and well throw me into the bus and say that, you know, you and I both know you meant go ahead to chase that guy. Uh-huh. But if you want to throw me under the bus and say, hey, I'm, I said go ahead for him to talk, you can do that. He was like, I'm not doing that shit. So, wow. That, that sergeant had my back, man. Even when I was on shift with him, there'd be many times where he'd be like, hey, I know you want to go hunt dope. I'm going to go take your calls for the area. You go hunt dope. But even more than that, you had his back. To yeah. offer that up. Yeah, I was like, hey, well, man, you, can, you can throw me under the bus for sure. It's, it's a brotherhood, man. And that's what I think a lot of law enforcement has switched from is from being a brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever. Like, we're a family. You know, it's not not necessarily us against them, but it's like, hey, we're, we should all be sticking together because look at the social outside aspect of it. Of Everybody hates law enforcement, right? And if we find somebody in law enforcement that's a piece of shit that needs to get out, like, we're going to kick them out. Right. We don't want them in here. You're making us all look bad. So, 
So let's let's talk about Whew. you outside of law enforcement. Like, yeah. what are what are some things you know? What what do you do? Like, what do you what are your hobbies? Like, what are the things that you enjoy doing outside of? Man, I like serving and protecting. Spending time with my family, hunting, fishing, like just any anything that doesn't have anything to do with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. This man's coming duck hunting this year. That's right. Coming duck hunting? Have oh, you been duck yeah. hunting before? Hell yeah. Okay, I haven't. So this is the whole thing's going to be new for me. Oh, man, it's going to be badass. Jason, I got to admit, I was a little... So those of you who don't know, I let Jason borrow my duck hunting boat, which is a 16-foot war eagle made in Arkansas. It's an awesome, the 25-horse Yamaha. Plug there. <laughs> you got to put a yee-yee at the end of that, dude. But you got <laughs> to understand, I bought that boat after the big... Uh, hurricane in Houston because I had buddies asking like hey you might get any boats coming out I was like I don't have a boat and the next year I was like well I, now I got the perfect boat yeah. for a hurricane and I was like it finally gets used for a freaking hurricane even though I wasn't there I could like live vicariously through uh, Mr. Jason but the, they never used it but it's alright oh. yeah, we took it down there to, to we were told that it was going to be super big flooding we were going to use it to go to different houses and houses and clear houses mm-hmm. essentially looking for bodies yeah um our, like I said, our mission changed once we got down there. We didn't end up doing anything super cool like that. Uh, when I first started my job, you know, well, you know, Mike, I got on a deer hunting lease with them outside of Huntsville. Mm-hmm. I thought these guys are serious deer hunters. They've got all the whiz bang oh, stuff Christ. and they got all these that's, stands that's, and feeders. That's, that's, a, that's a red flag right there that they're so not serious deer hunters. We're talking about at least 15 to 20 stands on a thousand acres. My God. Where everybody, I mean, you're almost shooting on top of each other. And so we're out there opening day, and, and Bammy comes out, and all of a sudden you start hearing all these gunshots. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, multiple guys people just, hunting for the same deer. <laughs> yeah, slaughtering these deer. And I, I actually shot, I had my 30 30, I had it dialed in with, with a scope. I shot a pig right through the freaking forehead, went nice. out the back end. It was awesome. So I come back to camp, and I'm thinking, well, <laughs> it's going to be deer stew. I mean, we're going to have like 15 dead deer. All them some bitches miss their deer because they're all concerned about drinking as much as they can at the deer lease and not actually sighting their guns in. I'm not gonna lie, I I, I, I used to be that way. Yes, <laughs> I was like, what are these guys That's a doing? Major part of deer hunting, though. yeah. That's why I'm, you know I'm still I agree, still to this but at least sight your gun in. Still to this day, I, I'm I usually will only hunt in the evenings because I've been it's been such a habit. You know, I don't drink at in the first thing in the morning. But I'll drink in the afternoon. I'll drink in the evening. So I would just, every time I'd go sit in the deer stand, I would take a case of beer with me. And usually, you know, I'd be about 12 deep before deer started showing up. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. But now that I have seen the error of my ways, you know, morning hunts are a little bit more exciting. Oh, dude, morning's all I do. I used to, well, I don't want to go into the details, but I enjoyed boating while drinking quite a bit. Oh, I don't. And I, evening catfishing. But I, I, agree. I agree. You were never boating, though. You were you were tied up. Yeah, I always had a driver. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because boating while intoxicated is illegal. It is. Yeah, you know, BWIs are a big thing for BWIs are a big thing for DWI guys. They want to get that 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 trifecta of the boating of the driving while intoxicated, boating while intoxicated, and there's actually flying while intoxicated. What? Yes. Huh? That's a big thing in law enforcement. If you're a big DWI guy. Being able to get that trifecta of the BWI, the DWI, and the FWI. What is an FWI? I've never Flying heard of while intoxicated. What does that even mean? Flying I mean, a plane? I'm not a DWI guy, but I'm, I'm assuming that's somebody being drunk flying a plane around. Oh, flying. Yeah. <laughs> There's people actually have done all three? 
Uh, I've heard of people that have done all three. Nice. I've never. I don't think I've met anyone that's done a third. Nice. The the flying. You know, if the, I was a pilot, though, I would be getting drunk in those weird towns. <laughs> and you you would think you'd be good by the next day, but a lot of times you're probably not. That's why I got a co-pilot. Yeah. Or an automatic <laughs> pilot, <laughs> autopilot. Why yeah, like game game wardens are big onto that. You know, uh, that, with the BWIs, they don't mess around with BWIs. So something you don't know, my father, um, he doesn't listen to this podcast. So I don't really care, but you know, he drank very, very heavily through his whole life and never got any trouble till he was about sixty. Then he got a, a DWI for uh, he went down there for a hurricane and he rammed his car. Well. Let me explain the story. He got drunk with the neighbors off wine because he went down there with all the powers out. I was like, Dad, you don't need to go back down there. We have power up here. He's like, no, screw you, Michael. I'm done hanging out with you. I do my own thing. So he drove back down to Houston like while the hurricane's still coming up. So he gets down there and all the power's out, and he gets wasted with neighbors. And then in the middle of the night, he thinks he needs a cookie. So he gets in his car. Priorities, man. He drives to the Kruger's where... All the lights are out. Everything's, I mean, there's nobody working. And what does my dad drive into? He drives into a Harris County constable. He rams the one car in the parking lot. <laughs> He's completely <laughs> wasted. And he said those guys get out and they come to him and they're just trying not to laugh. <laughs> and uh, I mean, at that point, it's like, man, out of, out of nobody here, you had to aim for the one vehicle. But you know what's weird is that he got arrested, right? And he went to jail. But we were up here. I couldn't get a hold of my dad. I figured, you know, the hurricane, all calms are out. I'm not even worried about it. Well, after a week, I was like, well, maybe, where where, where did he go? I can't get a hold of him. <laughs> he was in jail for over a week. I think I remember you telling it me. In his early this. 60s. And finally, <laughs> you know what? Finally, I was like, well, I've got to start calling hospitals. You know, just for our, you know, 20 viewers, if you're ever looking for somebody, don't try to send search parties for them. Call the hospitals or call the police department. And they can, the police department, if they're friendly, they'll actually send out a scan and they can search for all the hospitals wherever they're admitted or, more importantly, all the jails where he might be admitted. That's a much quicker <laughs> stance. Yeah. And then I learned that because he got arrested two more times for DWIs. And the second and the third time, especially, I go straight to the police department. And they tell me exactly where he's at. And it's a much simpler process. Especially with the technology and everything there is nowadays. Everybody's name that calls in, that gets called in, that they deal with, you get put into the database. Right. right? And they, everybody's like, well, the database. It's like this big secret thing. It's not. It's, it's just, all tied together. It's just your name. You right? can help find somebody. Yeah. And if you can't find them in the database, they will do health checks. Like when my dad's just being an ass and doesn't want to answer the phone for four <laughs> days. I'm like, I called the Harris County. I'm like, hey, can you guys uh, check on my old man? Oh, do a health check? check. Welfare check, yeah. Yeah. And so you talk about when your dad's being an ass, and he gets two cop cars roll up in his his driveway, and he's right there. He just ignored my calls for two days or a week. uh, That's going to rattle his cage a little bit. There's another side to that, too, though. I've been to welfare checks where their welfare was not okay. Right. I I imagine. You sound kind of a... Kind of salty about this whole thing, Mike. I am. Well, let, let's finish the story. So after third DWI, even though he's in his late 60s, they don't mess around. No. And uh, they, the third one, you go to 
You go to prison. Go to Third jail. Moore's a felony in Texas. Yeah. yeah. He went to Harris County lockup for three months in his late 60s. And my, well, my dad grew up kind of in the rougher part of New Mexico, and he grew up very fluent in Spanish. So he got along with Mexican guys in there, and they kind of took care of him as an elder. And so I picked him up. He only made two months because he had some health issues. Come out with a prison tat. I'll tell you, when he came out, I was waiting on him. I, I had to wait out there eight hours because they're just asses in prisons. They don't tell you when the guy's coming out. Yep. You just got to sit on the freaking curb in the ghetto of Houston. So, and I saw, finally see him come out. And you see this old, you know, white, silver-haired guy come out, and he's just surrounded by dudes asking for money because they all come out at the same time. And my dad's out there. He's pulling his wallet out. And I come up. And I kind of like, I act like I'm kind of like, get the F away from here, whatever. And they scatter like roaches. And uh, it was an experience I won't forget. And he was just happy to see sunlight because he said they keep it pretty cold in prisons because of, you know, viruses or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was an experience. Was, was, I, was, I would like to say it's a bonding experience, but he still, I don't think he likes me, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I was there when he came out of prison, even though I didn't go visit him in prison. Well, that's because you're a good son, Michael. Yeah. I try, Bob. You know, there's not much else I can do. Hey, that's all you can do is try. But I will tell you that third, that trip out, he stopped drinking. That's good. Yeah. Finally. I I mean, drinking in moderation is fine. I think it gets to the point where, you know, you're. Three DWIs. Making some negative decisions that (laughs) may have to start looking at some things. Probably probably should have stopped at the second one. No, no. He he was committed. No, no. Well, I I I have one last thing. One last thing I want to talk about, and I think we should probably wrap it up. We're going. I got one more thing. Okay. Well, then we got two more things. So you, you used this term a little while ago, um, the brotherhood of law enforcement. Yeah. Can you kind of like expand on that? Because uh, that's what I think I'm going to name this podcast after is the brotherhood of law enforcement. Well, so I hate to to burst your bubble, but it's not there anymore. The Brotherhood of Law Enforcement, when I first started a little over eight years ago, mm-hmm. it was there, man. It, everybody had each other's back. If you needed something, if you needed a day off, if you just needed to talk, you know, there are very few members of law enforcement now, and I've learned this over time, that they still see it that way. A lot of your agencies now are, what can I do to better my own career? What can I do to get above this person over here? And essentially, it's it's not the same, man. It's it went from everybody having each other's back, no matter what. If you fucked up, we'll, I'm gonna talk to you about it. We'll counsel you about it. We'll fix things. We'll make it right. Um, but now it's just who can screw over who to get themselves to a better position, and it's it's sad. So, <clears throat> kind of what I'm I'm thinking is like there's no. There's no like remediation if you screw up. It's just you're gone. It depends on what you do. Mm-hmm. I think that you know certain small things and stuff like that. That yeah, there there's a little bit of remediation. Or um, like me personally, if I'm working with somebody pretty closely and they do something stupid, I'm gonna have something to say about it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna stop it right then. Um, some of your newer members of law enforcement they won't they won't talk to the person that's doing anything until it's after the fact. And then they want to go to the admin and be like, hey, passive this, aggressive. Th- yeah, this is what happened. 
like let's let's fuck this guy over. Mm-hmm. He's got a job that I want. And it's hmm. it's sad. It, it's a terrible thing in law enforcement. I don't think that the people that are in law enforcement nowadays understand that like we should have each other's back. I'm not saying to do illegal things, right? Obviously, that's what we're here to try to stop is from people doing illegal things. But as far as the aspect of if somebody's screwing up, Let's handle it right then. Yeah. Let's not let them make that mistake to make all of law enforcement look bad. Instead of letting them continue screwing up, you know, intervene right then and there. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. There's, there's been a time where there was a a sergeant, I'm not going to name drop, but he was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing in front of my car on video camera. And I grabbed him and I jerked the shit out of him and pulled him backwards. I said, you're not going to do that shit on my car. So... And he had something to say about it afterwards, after we got done at the scene. And I said, well, I don't, I don't really give a shit what you have to say. I just stopped you from ending your career. Mm-hmm. So. Do you think the desire for, you know, officers screwing over another officer is really wanting their job? I mean. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say maybe their job. Depends on what you do in the agency. Um, obviously, in law enforcement, everybody's going to find their own niche. And they're going to want to do what they enjoy some people that's criminal investigation for like CID investigators, detectives, whatever you want to call them. Um, for me, it was dope. Like I, I love hunting dope. I love being a canine handler. Um, so if you're in one of those positions and somebody wants that job, you're going to feel some heat and especially narc guys. I know that if, if there's any other cops that are listening that are narcs, we get a lot of shit. Right, because we don't want to take calls. We don't want to go deal with a domestic violence situation or anything like that. So yeah, we're pawning stuff off on some of the. So y'all's main guys. job is chasing drugs. It's not really. Yeah, man. I don't. I'll really? be honest with you. When I first started, yeah, I would handle the domestic violence calls. I would handle the theft reports, the burglar reports, the missing persons, and all that other stuff. But my main focus was hunting drugs. If I didn't have a call going, that's what I was doing. I'm I'm hunting dope. If I could pawn a call off on somebody else and go hunt dope, that's what I'm going to do. There's proactive and reactive law enforcement. Reactive side of it is theft reports, burglary reports, stuff that's happened after the fact. I'm not a reactive cop. I'm a proactive cop. I want to go out and catch somebody in the act, catch somebody before they get to that point. So there's cops that aren't that way. They're reactive. And they're, that's perfectly okay. We need right. we need cops like that. So it just depends on what your niche is and what you're doing and if somebody wants that position. Man, that's wild. So, Bob, I want to end this on a positive note. Let's do it. So I don't know if you know, but our street's about a, a quarter mile long. And Jason's family, is a they own quite a few houses on this street. His brother lives here. They've got Jason's got four kids. His brother's got a couple kids. You know, everybody's here, the grandparents, everybody. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, the big snow apocalypse back in February. Yes, where it was negative 15. Right. So our street, so the power's out. There's nothing going on. And I look out my window, and here comes Jason coming down there with the biggest damn Kubota zero turn I ever seen in my life. And he's got a rope behind it. I think you were hauling... I think it was a cubicle wall. Yeah, an yeah. old cubicle wall that had carpet on it that it ripped Full off. Full of kids, 
It's just ripping down the road, down through the ice and the snow, and it was a, it was like you're surfing on a cubicle wall behind a zero turn mower, and it was just awesomeness. I took my own turn with uh, Meredith. We hung on for a little while, and the key was Jason would flip you into the ditch, and you'd fly into the ditch, which was full of snow, which never happens out here. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was just the coolest redneck shit I ever seen in my life. Listen, those kids in the house were getting to be too much. And I said, you know what? I can make some shit work out here to make y'all have some fun. Whether you're having fun or I'm having fun throwing you off of this into a ditch, I'm going to make it work. Yeah. Oh, it was cool. It was a good. You know what was cool about that is like the power's out. Nobody's got the toys. Nobody's got TV. It was like everybody's going to come though, in the man. front yard. Yeah. Got, got plenty of gas. <laughs> Rednecks will make it work. That's for sure. Uh, Growing up in this small town, man, it's. It's all about the ingenuity that you can come with. I had, man, when that when that storm hit, I was loving it. Cuz like so like my whole neighborhood went dark, right? And I'm the only son of a bitch in that neighborhood that had firewood. The only one. So like I'm delivering firewood to everybody in my neighborhood. Yeah. Like I had like five cords of oak that I had I had literally just five cords? Yeah. I had just Golly. cut it. Cuz like I I'm I'm crazy. I like having a shitload of firewood around. And uh, and I'm I'm taking firewood to all my neighbors, running you know running firewood across town to go, to people. People were coming up to buy firewood from me, and like I, like our house was nice in in balmy seventy degrees without the power on because I just dude just had a freaking fire going. I had a generator running. It was good stuff. I had a great time. Well, Jay, let's wrap this. Jason, I want to say I appreciate it, man. I just enjoyed it. You're just an all-around good guy. I appreciate y'all having me on. Hopefully we can do it yeah, again. Yeah, man, it's a good talk. Oh, we, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we decided we want to, you know, you're now another character in our, in our saga. In our saga. Persona- let's go, personality. Well, well, a saga is a story. Like you're a char- no, not like, not like that. You know what I mean? You know, you're another <laughs> cartoon character. Piece of our, our, our story that I we like want to tell. So... Uh, next week we're going to have uh, a, a young lady that um, should be an interesting talk. So she's a barrel racer. She's going to come in. This is the horse soon. masseuse. This is the horse masseuse. She's an animal masseuse. Now I've heard of animal chiropractors. I've not heard of animal masseuse. She is an animal masseuse, um, and she's very clear that she does not does not rub humans. <laughs> so like we, Mike's asked her many times, like. So uh, you you like if I got a sore leg, you, uh, you know, can you help me out? She's like, no. Is this the one that was like one of the first ones I met back in the day? And she was, yeah, the one that she, lived in my backyard, Megan. You can say her name. Oh, yeah, Megan. With the purple hair. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know she rubs animals. I thought she was just into chickens. No, that's Jessica. Jessica. Okay. You're getting your animal activist yeah. wrong. Bob has got a lot of good-looking redneck women out where he lives. I don't, I don't know what happened out there, but well, Mike Mike claims there's no good-looking ladies in the town I live in, and it's but it's full of good-looking redneck I, I don't, ladies. I don't, it's, like it's a very weird situation out there, and yeah. they, they've all got interesting stories. Too. Yeah, they all have great stories. So like Megan's story is very very interesting. Like just where she came from and how she ended up like basically in Texas is kind of crazy and how she ended up living in my backyard for three months. I hope it's nothing negative. I mean, that's kind of, that sounds weird. No, it's all, no living in my backyard was, will, was, was right? a good One thing. Force. No, no, I didn't tie her up. No. So <laughs> no, it was, it was a choice, her choice. We offered like, Hey, you can stay in the backyard. 
Well, that's cool. Like in at a, least in, in a camper, in, in a right? camper. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got a rough in the backyard <laughs> of the tent. I hope you got a blanket because it's cold, bitch. Tree, right? <laughs> Wait for snowmageddon to come through. I'll throw you a couple cords of wood. <laughs> well, all right. Well, let's cut it off. Well, thanks again, Jason, and uh, stay tuned for uh, episode number eight. Mm-hmm.